0: This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife and mom. Righteously American. Welcome back. Yeah, I'm here. I'm live and direct to you. And we are going to have a fantastic show today. I'm going to start off by kind of updating you. I was feeling a bit of extraordinary burnout, and that was going on for really the first four days of that last week that I was broadcasting. And so I said, you know, I'm going to take two weeks off. That's how bad I was feeling. And then after. I took the Friday off. I came back on Monday because it was just so much. You, you, there's, there's this thing I guess we could call it radio host guilt. It's where you don't have a fill in host, and so you feel like you can't, um, you can't not be there. And I do follow some hosts online who actually are. They're so good at what they do. What they do is they pre record. They pre record, and they do not. Uh, they, they they don't they don't play around. They'll pre-record five shows, 10 shows, however many shows for however long they're going to be gone, so mm-hmm. they never miss a beat. I have the capability to do that. But we're talking about some extraordinary burnout that I was experiencing and um I I think for me it was just it was it, it was just I hit the wall. I had to take some time off. I also have this book that I've been working on. And by working on, I mean, kind of working on it, kind of not working on it. And so I needed some assistance with that. And I needed a chance to recharge and get back into what was a kind of a normal routine for me. I think there's also a, a bit of what's going on with you personally. Um, for me, it's, it's kind of just the realization as more time goes on that this whole thing is real. And so you're, you might be thinking, well, we know this is real. We know what happened. You aren't at the old place anymore. This is your new thing. Um, but there's, there's a certain levels of realization that you go through. Maybe it's like the stages of grief that people talk about. They're real, but sometimes they get kind of added in as in, in a joking fashion. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I kind of do know it is that. It's the reality of the situation, the reality of knowing that you know this is the new reality. It's the podcast, it's you know the five affiliates. I'm grateful for all of that. I'm grateful for the help. I'm especially grateful for the assistance that I've gotten from Noah Chalaya. Um, just con- continuing on, he has a, a life of his own, a, a job of his own, a career of his own, but he chooses to continue to help with the show, and that's been really fantastic. And so, I'm grateful for all of that, but there's a certain level of finality to realizing that we're just not at the old place anymore. And it doesn't mean that I'm, it's not that I'm kind of going from a place where I'm like, Oh, I I can't take it anymore. It's not that. But it's just kind of the reality of the reality settling in and being here and and etc. So that's what was happening. And I did think I might take off until October. But I really devoted myself to sleeping, resting and recharging and getting some things in order at home. You know how that is when you, you realize, oh my goodness, I need to do X, Y, and Z. So did some of that stuff. And then I kind of start thinking about news-wise, I unplug from the news for a bit and then I plug back in because I am a news junkie and I do like to know what's going on. And as I was plugging back in, um, I got another update on the announcement that I've, I've told you it's been pushed back to October 7th through 9th, but now we're looking at October 1st through 2nd and that and a really good uh phone call that I had with a friend of mine who I would really say he's he's a bit of a mentor as well career-wise someone who's is further along politically and and all of those different things and we were talking and a strategy became very clear to me and I felt energized and cuz you know that sometimes you need a, as a part of a recharge you need to go and get some wise counsel and so I was able to get that and then I I said to myself I'm back I have to be back on Monday. Um, I have to get back in the swing of things because there's a lot that has to be discussed. So today on the show, in addition to that um, winding and lengthy update that you just endured, we're going to be talking about the five reasons socialism is not Christian. We're going to hear some audio from Charles Barkley where he's talking about the Democrats only talking to black people when it's election time. We're going to round out the show with, uh, you know, we've joked a lot here on the show and I've even covered it as a news item, how you can purchase, you know, uh, Abrams tank or, you know, defunct uh, military equipment is sold on an open market and that you can purchase it. Well, I've got a little bit more information on that and an interesting story from the perspective of like, if you watch Star Trek at all, um, Star Trek, The Next Generation specifically, remember Lieutenant Worf? He was um, a Klingon guy, but he was raised by American parents or English parents or human parents. Um, interesting connect-up between whether or not you can purchase a warplane. Hint: you can. And also, the Trump administration has forced China to sell the port of uh, London. Wait, let me give you the right the right answer on that. Um, oh, yeah. The, not the Port of London, the Port of Long Beach. Sorry, the Port of Long Beach. So um, this is over security concerns. And what's exciting about it is that, and you might think, well, why is that exciting? It's exciting because the Trumps are actually doing things that benefit America. They're really interested in benefiting America, where the Obama administration was really interested in just whatever could enrich them, whatever could give them power, whatever could do whatever they were going to do. So this is important for us because as Americans, we should care that our ports, our shipping ports, all of our stuff, that it, that it's owned by, well, really it should be owned by us. But if it's going to be owned by a, uh, a foreign entity, it should be one that has our best interests at heart. So that is one of the things that, um, We've totally had going on and we're going to cover that as a story here on on the, on the show as well. So I want to start off with um, the links that I was talking about specifically, the five reasons that socialism is not Christian. Now for, for first off, we know socialism doesn't work. Socialism is horrible for people, it's horrible for Americans and it makes life more difficult for everyone who has is forced to engage in it. And that's fine. Um, you know we 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 want to be sure that we know that that's what's going on, but there's a little bit more to it than that there and the more to it that there is is that socialism ends up making not just the lives of people around and nearby more difficult. It makes the lives of anyone who even attempts to do anything business wise, it makes it so that there's only a couple of choices that you have. One choice is, you know, people go against the government and they're killed. The other choice is that people don't go against the government and they starve to death. So there aren't any great options when it comes to socialism. If, if socialism is, is being implemented, then you end up with a situation where people are dying. So I found this over at um, the Christian Post. And I love this article. It's it's actually in the opinion side, which is interesting because I don't understand why this has to be opinion. It, five reasons why socialism, like it, it shouldn't be opinion in my in in my view. But they have it over an opinion. It's by Julie Royce, and I don't always agree with Julie Royce. Let's let's go ahead and and share that. I don't always agree with her, but on this particular article, I got to say she's she's putting down something that we all need. Um, and she starts off by talking about the money changers and how Jesus confronted them, challenging believers to give to the needy, but the mechanism by which it was being done, the money changing and all of that was bringing something nasty and disgusting into the house of the Lord. And he didn't want any of that. So he was challenging believers, hey, give, but would Jesus support socialism is the question. Now, I know a lot of people say he would. They they're Oh, he, of course, Jesus would support socialism. I mean, um, socialism is a way for everybody to be the same and to be equal. Now, in the Bible, it does talk about the equality of all of us in Christ and that we all need a savior and that we are all desperately not just in need of the Savior, but that there's really no escaping it. like there there isn't any there isn't any place where we can go where we where we would say to ourselves, oh, we you know, because we're Americans, we don't need Jesus or because um, because our country is prosperous, we don't need Jesus. Or no, there there is no place where that is the case. In all things, we know we need Jesus Christ. So, that being said, Americans actually think that Jesus would support socialism. Barna Group, which does the polling for uh, religion in American life, and really they're they're the experts on what do Americans think about Christianity and what do Christians think about issues that are going on in in America. This Barna poll found that more Americans think Jesus would prefer socialism at 24% than those who believe he would prefer capitalism at 14%. Now, um, 62% were saying that Jesus would prefer neither. 62% said that, um, you know, they weren't sure. So it's a disturbing trend because you have an uptick. And the number of people who are literally saying, you know, that's what God, that's what God wants. Um, Now, again, we know for sure that as Christians who are Bible believing and have a Christian worldview that this isn't the truth, but this reflects this kind of love affair with socialism that is going on right now. Uh, So Micah Conkling is a Christian writer and podcaster and he went on and was talking with Julie Royce about socialism. And he said that it is the political and economic system that best fulfills the golden rule. Now, Conkling is a millennial. The millennials are the most pro-socialist generation America has ever known. And according to a recent Reason Roop survey, 53% of Americans under the age of 30 view socialism favorably compared to less than a third of Americans over the age of 30. Similarly, Gallup found that 69% of those under 30 said they would be willing to vote for a socialist presidential candidate. So they've been brainwashed and we're not doing them any favors by keeping the truth from them. So they think that because we've had economic decline, because we've had, uh, you know, heavy partisanship and arguments over how to best take care of the neediest people among us, because the Twin Towers were attacked because we're a capitalist country, um, and because we've been at war since the Twin Towers were taken down and the war seems never ending and there's no there's no resolution in sight that it has to be that we need a different kind of system. The system has to be to blame. But socialism is neither compassionate nor Christian. And it's actually goes against everything that is taught about Christianity and how we're to live and work with each other. So first of all, socialism elevates materialism to the level of a worldview. It places materialism ahead of all other things. Socialists like Bernie Sanders always rail against the unequal distribution of wealth as if the answer to every single problem lies in the distribution of wealth. But the truth is, it is the immoral attitude of sin-filled human beings that is the problem. But Bernie Sanders never talks about that. Now, materialism and materialistic worldview is the basis of socialism and all that really exists for socialists is the material world. They never talk about the afterlife. Ask Bernie Sanders what happens to you when you die. He doesn't care about that because he doesn't think there is anything beyond where he is alive. After death, he doesn't see eternity or a need to live well here so that he can, uh, you know, be, be found to have earned, as in some religions. But in, in Christianity, we believe grace comes by faith and Jesus died on the cross for all of us. It's a gift. He doesn't believe in any of that. And and I, I know you know his background, but the point is, he doesn't address other issues because he believes that if everybody had the same amount of money, if every person in America had a million bucks, that every other problem would disappear. Now, he also subscribes to the teachings of Karl Marx, who is the father of socialism and communism, who invented the notion of dialectical materialism, which is the belief that matter contains a creative power within itself. Now, if you're a Christian, you know this is pure heresy, but this enabled Marx to eliminate the need for a creator and erase the existence of anything that's not material. Socialists believe that suffering is caused by the unequal distribution of things and salvation is achieved by redistributing the things from the rich people to the people who don't have it. Obviously, we know that you can be a Christian, whether you're dirt poor and poverty stricken or the richest person alive on the face of the planet. Christianity applies to each of those individuals equally. Christianity affirms the existence of of both a material world and a non-material world and teaches that mankind's greatest problems are indeed spiritual in that we are all in need of a savior. We need Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, that work which liberated us from sin. So the cause of suffering is sin. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ, which liberates us from sin. And because of sin, there will always be inequalities. But no one's teaching this to our millennials. So we'll get into this a little bit more and get down the rest of this list here. And then we'll uh, listen to some audio from Candace Owens about uh, what's ailing the black community. All right, stay right there. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food, cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit SaveTheFood.com, brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Some knowledge belongs to us and us alone. The way our girlfriends walk, talk, touch their hair. Details that only a sister can know about her girls. But what about our other girls? The ones we carry with us every day. Our bond with our sister girls gives life. But knowing your breasts can save it. Go to knowyourgirls.org for the facts you need on breast health brought to you by susan g coleman and the ad council listen as a hiring manager i've got to tell you the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate sometimes they're a grad of life meet the grads of life young adults of unique determination and experience an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position internship or mentorship they might not have every qualification you typically look for but they're exactly who your company needs Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now. And AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad <laughs> joke. Corny. Grown-worthy but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. (laughs) So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba... Please be done. (laughs) Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Hey, welcome back to the program. Wow, I have really um so you take a week off and the computer is behaving as if I've never been here before. If you're so you're if you're listening to this on the podcast, you probably noticed we didn't have a live stream today because I came in to start my live stream and I have not been able to get it going. This this whole program I've been like trying to get the the little knobs and buttons to work and it is not happening. The computer seems to have been I guess when I said I was taking some time off to recharge, the computer was like, well, we're done. We're not doing anything for you. Um, so I want to get back to this content here. This is, I was reading this over the weekend and I thought, this is exactly what we need to share. And um, the link is in the show notes at com. And what you're going to find there, if you read this piece, is nuggets for you to, um, for you to use if you want to talk to somebody about this. And this is kind of an ongoing conversation. You might not be able to download everything that I'm going to share with you here to someone. You might not be able to download it to them and say, look, this is everything you need to know about this. We should have had this kind of training and information at school, but people probably haven't. So if they're thinking that socialism is cool, that socialism rocks, that it's okay to be a socialist, then they probably are not going to be of the mindset um, that they need to, uh, you know, to have any other view. They've been taught this by teachers that they loved and respected, and they're not, they're, they're probably not going to want to walk away from it. But that's okay. Um, it's a, it's a sharing process. What you can do is you can say, I'm, I'm interested in you knowing the truth, and so, why don't you just look? You know, could, could you, would you mind looking at this or that? Would you mind, would you mind checking um, into the information that I'm going to share with you? And if they say yes, if they say sure, I'll check into it, then that's the first thing you, you started something, right? You've, you've begun something that can uh, go from them thinking it through, thinking about it to, you actually sharing with them the truth about what you know about how socialism is bad and and there are other options for us. So we started off with, if you're just tuning in, socialism being based on a materialistic worldview that is antithetical to a country such as our own where we believe, uh, we're, well, we're founded on Christian, Judeo-Christian values. Um, whether or not you believe that is your own thing, but it doesn't change what the founders brought to us or gave to us, which is a constitution that's fit only for a moral and religious population. Check it out for yourself. It's in the documents. Now, the second thing, the second reason why socialism is antithetical to uh, Christianity is socialism punishes virtue. Socialists want to distribute wealth to individuals according to their need, regardless of whether or not they've earned it. There is something virtuous about earning your own way. It doesn't mean that you can't be poor and be a virtuous person. It doesn't mean that a person who has money or has earned money is automatically virtuous. But what it does mean is that someone has earned the money and someone else has not. And so just the fact of not having doesn't mean that you have the right to take from someone who has earned. Um, Now, I know there's, there's a lot of conversation that can go around about whether or not someone has earned something if they were given it, say, by their parents or it was passed on to them. But the fact is, What you're doing when you say we need socialism is you're saying, I got to take money from people who have it, regardless of how they've gotten it. I have the right to take it and give it to people who don't have it. And the only thing that gives me that right is I've gotten together with a few million other people who believe as I do. And I'm going to take from people who do have, and I'm going to give it to people who don't. And it's my prerogative to make that decision. Well, you, you're way out in left field by the time you get there anyway. Now, Karl Marx said, because we, we got to go back to the, the founders of socialism and what they said to understand what they're trying to put forward, quote, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, end quote. But when institutions provide aid, they run the risk of removing God-designed rewards and consequences and replacing them with arbitrary, feeling-based uh, you know, dictates. The government can punish people who are industrious and work hard and save and make right choices by making them pay for those who do not. They can reward those who aren't industrious by giving them the fruits of another man's labor. This is precisely what socialism does. Karl Marx mooched off of others his whole life and failed to provide for his own wife and children. Yet we take his doctrine as the law. People, namely millennials, and the children that we have in public schools right now are being taught to revere the ideas of a man who never took care of his own family. That should be something that we should be against. Aristotle once noted that men start revolutionary changes for reasons connected to their private lives, but the Bible teaches that aid should be tied to responsibility and anyone who refuses to work should be refused aid. So the Bible doesn't say you should starve because you're poor. It doesn't say if you haven't worked and you find yourself poor that you shouldn't be helped. It says if you want to eat, you should work. So it, it means that even when people are being given aid, if they're able-bodied enough, if they're not completely disabled, they should be able to work to contribute to the aid that they're receiving. In other words, they're just not sitting back and getting a handout. Now, mention this to any socialist and they'll say, no, people should be able to get something for free if they're poor. No, that's not biblical. So 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat no one should be given aid whose family can provide for him. In fact, the apostle Paul said that a man who fails to provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever going on. The church also required widows to receiving aid to have a reputation of good works. In other words, they weren't sitting at home polishing their nails and waiting for someone to deliver food and aid to them. They were out working in the community. They were widowed. They were poor, but they had a reputation for being helpful. In other words, so someone who needs, who's out in the field managing their, their work, but their children need to be cared for. I can do that. I'm a widow. And in exchange for doing that, I get to have dinner there. You, do you see how that works? It, it takes the whole government out of the equation because people who need assistance know that they have to do something in order to get it. So people who don't really need the assistance will go out and get a job rather than be dependent on someone else's charity because they won't want to be dependent upon charity because they don't need it. See how quickly the number of people who are on aid dissipates when it becomes something that has accountability attached to it. So in even in dispensing aid, the church rewards virtue and discourages vice. Socialism does exactly the opposite of that. Now, Number three, the reason why socialism doesn't work with Christianity is socialism endorses stealing. Barack Obama once defended his socialist policies to a little girl by saying, we've got to make sure that people who have more money help the people who have less money. If you had a whole pizza and your friend had no pizza, would you give him or her a slice? Well, to a child, and the analogy is pizza, not your whole paycheck, sounds pretty, uh, you know, philanthropic, doesn't it? So, Doesn't that sound sweet? Well, it sounds Christian, and what Christian wouldn't endorse sharing abundance with someone who has nothing? But see, here's the thing: Christians already do that. That's a whole nother show. Uh, the philanthropic work of Christians, the things that Christians do, unbeknownst to anyone else, they do it under you know cover of darkness and keeping it only known only to themselves. What they're doing to help other people. Because they're mandated to do so by the word of God and they do it in secret because they want to be rewarded openly in heaven as opposed to the opposite. So (sighs) you can put it another way. Uh, Barack Obama says the government should basically take a piece of pie from one person and give it to another person who doesn't have any pie. Or if you have three cars and your neighbor has no cars, the government has a right to take one of them and give it to your neighbor. Or take all of them but one because every person only needs one car. Never mind the fact that maybe you, first of all, worked and paid off that first car. You bought that car used because you knew you couldn't afford a new one. You worked and you paid it off. While you were working to pay that car off, you saved and you invested. And then when that car was paid off, you bought another one, this one for you know, your spouse. And then you worked and paid that car off. And then you had a little money that you'd been saving and you used that to buy a used car for one of your kids. So now you have three cars. Barack Obama would say you don't need them. Now, Barack Obama would never say he doesn't need his five homes. Remember, he owns five mansions, but he would say you, John Q. Public, don't deserve your cars. Do you see the difference there? Do you see how that that is a total It's a total bastardization of what the Constitution, the Bible, and everything that has anything to do with responsibility says about how you're to treat people when they've worked and planned and earned and saved to accomplish something. He loves to say you didn't bill that, but we don't see anybody taking anything from him with his law degrees and his undergraduate degrees and all of the money that they've earned from speaking engagements and their books and everything else. I don't know how they made all that money, $40, million, $40 to $133 million. No one's taking anything from them, but they advocate for you to have things taken from you take things from you, give it to people who haven't earned it, people who aren't related to you, who don't know you, and they get to make those arbitrary decisions with what you've earned because they're better than we all are. They have better ideas. They're they're just better, right? And we know that's garbage. So socialists also don't believe in private property. Christian socialists will assert that the Bible doesn't believe in private pop- property, but that is an absolute garbage mode thinking. It's not true. If you read the Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament unequivocally affirm private property and they say in in God's word over and over and over again, you're told not to steal. The eighth commandment of the Ten Commandments is that you do not steal. You can't steal something that's public property. So if it if property has no ownership, then how can you steal? So the very idea that the Bible says do not steal indicates that people can own private property with which other people can be envious and want to take and steal from them. We can't steward our money as the Bible commands us to by giving the first tenth to the Lord if the government owns all of our money, right? Because if the government was the owner of everything, then the Bible would say the government should give the first tenth of everything that's owned to God. But it doesn't say that. It says you should do it. And if you don't do it, the consequences fall to you, not to the government or to me. Same for me. Everyone has their own personal responsibility and accountability for following what God's word tells us to do. So... For an economic and political system to be Christian, it must protect private ownership and allow individuals the freedom to allocate their resources according to their conscience, knowing that they'll be held accountable at the judgment seat and that no one else will be forced to be held accountable for what they've done. Pretty interesting, right? So then number four, socialism encourages envy and class warfare. Socialists demonize the rich and they blame all of society's problems on rich people. But do you see rich people forcibly You know, forcing people who live in poverty stricken situations to have kids out of wedlock, to get pregnant, to use drugs, to refuse to report on uh, criminals and gang members who are in their community destroying things. Do rich people go into other communities and force people to do things? Now, you can say that some rich people through their actions, maybe, you know, purchasing property and forcing poor people out of neighborhoods and things like that those those are wrong things uh, or things that can happen in a capitalist society that we can weigh in on we can we can debate the rightness of those actions but we know that the reason there's a 78 percent out of wedlock birth rate in the black community has zero to do with rich people unless you're blaming the rich people who glorify that behavior in their music so if, if you want to blame some rich people for what's going on in the black community, maybe blame the people who set the culture in the black community and glorify bad behavior and vilify good behavior. Oh, I think I'm stepping on some pretty big, wealthy, fancy, ringed up toes right now while I'm saying that stuff, right? Right. That is what you're not supposed to say. You're never supposed to call out Jay-Z and Beyonce for glorifying behavior that they they themselves don't engage in. Beyonce hasn't been married five or six times and she doesn't have any kids out of wedlock. You, You notice that? And when push came to shove and her marriage was in trouble, she hunkered down and she worked on that marriage. She even wrote music about it and made the marital issues that she'd overcome into a vehicle for making more money Whether or not you subscribe to the methods or the message that she puts out, the fact is she wanted to preserve her marriage so that her three children by the same man, by her husband, the only children she has, would grow up in an intact family. Is that what her music promotes? I don't think so. Uh, You know, you could say it, it does. You could say it doesn't. I had a little catch in my throat there. So... Bernie Sanders once posted to his Facebook page, let us wage a moral and political war against the billionaires and corporate leaders on Wall Street and elsewhere whose policies and greed are destroying the middle class of America. Now, in that statement, he's mimicking Karl Marx, who viewed history as a series of class struggles between rich and poor people and was an advocate of overthrowing the ruling class. Scripture does strongly warn the rich and powerful not to oppress the poor. Proverbs 14.31 says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for his maker. But Sanders and other leftists, including Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and uh, Harry Reid, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Bill de Blasio, Amy Klobuchar, uh, uh, Focahontas, any of them that you look at, they go far beyond decrying specific acts of injustice. They don't just say, this is an injustice because the people of Flint don't have clean water. They go further than that. They condemn entire classes of individuals for simply having more money than poor people. It's funny, they're careful to pick and choose the condemnation that they spread out so that it never touches themselves because all of the people that I named off have nice amounts of money. They're well off. They have millions of dollars. And in a country like ours, where being a millionaire is actually not that big of a deal, there are so many, there are hundreds of thousands of people in this country who are millionaires. But still they have cause to fix their mouths to criticize millionaires when they themselves are millionaires. Wouldn't it be nice to see Elizabeth Warren and these others, especially Hillary Clinton, where she has hundreds of millions of dollars, to take their money and say, I own five mansions. The the Clintons are also multiple mansion owners. I'm going to sell two mansions and give that money to help refugees. I'm going to send money down to Mexico or El Salvador or Honduras, and I'm going to make sure that people down there have a place to live. I'm going to do something with my millions besides enriching myself and growing power. But they don't say that. They just blame you if you have millions. All right, we'll be back with more. Stay there. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Man, I love my kids so much. I once sat for three hours in the cold rain to watch her soccer team lose by 18 goals. I love my kids so much, I once used a tube to suck snot out of her stuffed nose at 3 a.m. You win. Love your kids. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat. From toddlers to tweens, visit nhtsa.gov/the right seat to find the right seat for their age and size. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov/the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Okay, man, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Show the world that you're tougher than tough. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? <laughs> of course. Catchy. I like it. River. How's the temperature? It's a refreshing fifty two degrees, man. I love it. Uh turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, he's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel! The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom will figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Hey there. Welcome back to the program. Uh, so, again, we have so much information that goes against this idea that socialism has anything to do with Christianity or is compatible in any way with the society that we currently occupy and enjoy. And so finishing this off, um, Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Clinton once said that U.S. economy required a toppling of the wealthiest 1%, of which she is, she is one. That's how you know that they don't really believe this stuff, because they're talking about themselves. Rich people are not in and of themselves causing all of the problems that we see in America. We as individuals cause our own problems. I can think of three things right now that I have going on in my life that are my fault. I could blame Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, but the truth, I know it. I know where those problems stem from and the only solution can come from me making a change in my behavior, right? Here's the other thing. That's unfortunate, but it's the truth. And it's great for us to admit. I'll admit it for myself. Of my three problems that I'm thinking of right now, making a change doesn't mean tomorrow morning I wake up and those problems are gone. Guess what? And I can make a change. And I am. I'm actually making changes. But it's going to take time to get out of the situation that is presently, well, the situation. That means It's the same. It's similar for everyone who has a problem that they're dealing with. So the out of wedlock birth problem in the black community isn't going away because we acknowledge it, but acknowledging it would go a long way in us saying, not only is this a problem, but we know where it stems from and it's an individual problem. How do we stop it? How do we stem the tide? How do we change it? Well, people have to come to know that the behavior is wrong and they have to want to turn away from it and decry it and really You know, this is, this is Christian radio here. This, the, you, you know where I'm coming from. You know what I'm about to say. If you're living like that, you're not close to Jesus. You are not living according to what the Bible dictates. When you say to yourself, I'm sick of this situation. I'm that sick of it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to get over this. I'm going to end this. I'm going to live differently. In that moment, that is when you all of a sudden, it's, it, it doesn't go away, but it gets a little easier to make steps in the right direction. And then the changes begin to happen. And, you know, the Bible is, is rife with stories of people having revival, just people just living their lives and enjoying themselves and having, uh, you know, just the most amazing experiences because God stepped into the situation and made it possible for them to make changes. So the last reason, the fifth reason that socialism is incompatible with Christianity is that it seeks to destroy marriage and family. A little-known fact about socialism is that from the very beginning, socialism sought to destroy marriage and intact families. Professor uh, at Grove City College, Paul Kinger, explained in his book, Take Down from Communists to Progressives, How the Left Has Sabotaged Marriage and Family, he explained that what socialism seeks at its most basic level is for the state to replace the family. And so in a lot of ways, when Bernie Sanders says things like socialism, democratic socialism, we already have it. We already have socialism in America. He's right. And when you look at the socialism that we do have, like the welfare situation in inner cities in America and in some rural areas where the government has taken over the role of the father and families are dependent upon the government in order to exist, you can see that socialism is already not just in place, but in full bloom because family situations are dependent upon the government as opposed to being dependent upon a father heading up the home and managing that situation. It, not just, I'm not talking about him lording over the family or owning the wife and the kids, but being solely responsible for whether or not the people in that household eat. It's an amazing thing to see the difference between a man who doesn't care anything about whether or not his significant other, wife, whatever he's calling the woman who's had his kids. And those kids, men who don't care about whether or not those people eat, present themselves completely differently than men who do. You can spot a man who is absolutely determined to feed his wife and kids a mile away. You can see him coming. When he opens his mouth, you know the difference. There's something about him. It's not just special. It's not just unique. It is different. Then any man you encounter who's just out for himself, he's making babies all over the countryside, but he's not caring for any of them. And he's never, ever worried for one second, whether or not they're going to eat. And really, does he have to? Does any man in America actually have to worry about whether or not a woman and the children he's, he's made with that woman are going to eat when the welfare system says, don't worry about it, bro. We got it. The government will take care of your children and the woman who you made them with. So, you know, before people get to blaming, it's all the MGTOW movement and the incels and all this other talk about how feminism is bad. And and a lot of what we see out of feminism is horrible. But what's worse than that is to remove the desire for a man to care for women by caring for women and children by the government, which is you and me. And to not call that out? Come on now. So Bernie Sanders not only says that, you know, hey, all the socialism we see already in American life is good and we should have more of it. But Bernie Sanders once called for a revolution in child care and for the government to provide early childhood education, beginning with children as young as six weeks old. He's a proud supporter of gay marriage. And gay marriage is called by Professor Kinger, communism's tro- Trojan horse. C- gay marriage is the final step to destroying the American family. Now, socialists hear these statements by Bernie Sanders as you know ushering in a utopia which by the way as long as human beings are present a utopia cannot exist but we as Christians know that this is the opposite of that this is the destruction of everything that we know all of the things that we can do that make life so good so beautiful so fruitful so wonderful um There's nothing Christian about socialism. Jesus would never support it. We don't have to guess at that. We can look at his word. We can look at what God has said in his word about the way we are to live and treat each other and know for a fact without a shadow of a doubt that socialism has no place in our lives and that it is antithetical to the American family, which is the bedrock of what God has created. God created the American family, the human family, the intact traditional family, one man, one woman joined in marriage with God and the children that come from that union. He created it in the image of the Godhead. There is no other statement that can be as clear as the fact that God created marriage in the image of the Godhead. He formed it after his own formation. That is how we are to know that it is not to be trifled with or messed around with with our human conventions and that we are not to destroy it or attempt to modify it in an effort to try to make it what we want it to be or to improve upon it. It doesn't It it needs no improvement. It is what it is. And God made it that way. So, wow, that took a lot longer to get through than I had originally planned. Um, But I do want to give you um, a little bit. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to push the discussion about why blacks should vote for Trump uh, to tomorrow so I can cover it fully. Um, And so that means the audio I have for you from Charles Barkley and Candace Owens, two audio bits that are just... You're going to want to hear these. They'll be on tomorrow's show. What I'm going to do today is get into um, a little bit more fun stuff. So we have this story over at Popular Mechanics about whether or not you can actually purchase a warplane. You probably think to yourself, say what now? Well, this is actually a great story. Um, So can you actually purchase a warplane? Um. And first of all, I want to say, as someone who has advocated before for people who think that, um, you know, you can't buy a tank, you can, you can buy a tank, they're demilitarized. So that means the, the, you know, the, the guns and all the stuff that make tanks deadly, all that stuff's been taken out. And these are at the end of their life. So they're very maintenance intensive. But for people who are hobbyists, and you have a big barn and a lot of acres where you could store a tank. Um, and you're able to get a permit and all that stuff, hey, it's a possibility. But what if you wanted an F-16? Well, guess what? If you have $8.5 million, you can have one. There's a company in Florida that's selling a 1980 F-16 for $8.5 million. Now, remember, if you bought an F-16 just to say, you had nine million bucks laying around because you are going to need some, uh, like some. You are going to need a, a hangar to store the aircraft in, and you are going to need the ability to have maintenance people working on it for you. Unless you just happen to be a retired crew chief from the U.S. Air Force, and your weapon system was the F sixteen, um, and then you need money for parts because you are going to have to replace all kinds of different things on the plane. Now, you can buy your war, your own warplane because the planes are demilitarized, and it is legal to do so. But the price that I just quoted you, the eight and a half million, doesn't include the price of maintenance operation. And those two things can cost thousands of dollars per flight hour. Now this plane, this plane that's for sale is actually an F-16 fighter jet manufactured in 1980 and it has 6,000 flight hours on it. So these planes life cycle encompasses 8,000 flight hours. The aircraft is in storage in Palm Beach, Florida, and um, so it means it has about 2,000 flight hours left on it before it would need structural changes, repair, replacements, etc. Most of the details of the aircraft involved in the sale are blocked out and behind a paywall, so you have to kind of pay to get the information. But the limited amount of information that was offered um, is that the, the plane is from 1980. that's pretty old for a warplane, but still a warplane. Like it it is a legitimate F-16. Now you might remember that I'm an Air Force veteran. And when I was on active duty, I was a data systems analyst and my aircraft for the majority of the time I was on active duty was the F-15E and then F-16s. We had uh, F-16s at 85th test. So the latest version of this plane of the F-16 is the F-16V Block 70, which includes a new active electronically scanned array radar, conformal fuel tanks, digital data link, GPS, and an automatic system that prevents the aircraft from accidentally colliding with the ground. Ooh, you got to love that tech. Um, and they include over here at Popular Mechanics this this uh, image, which notes that there are humps above the fuselage containing fuel tanks, a targeting pod under the air intake, and lots and lots of missiles that come on this aircraft, or the aircraft is capable of... Uh, carrying. And I can tell you the the these new lumps over the wings that hold fuel are basically an acknowledgement that sometimes they're out and they're in the air, you know, if they're out doing exercises specifically, but they're meant to be out fighting, um, actually, you know, going head to head with other aircraft of their type or doing bombing runs. And sometimes in the course of that, they can basically expend all of the fuel in their onboard tanks. They drop those tanks because they weigh about 1,500 pounds each. And in dropping them, that makes the aircraft lighter and more fuel efficient. But the way they get home once they drop those tanks is the fuel that's stored in the wings. And so these extra humps mean that they have extra fuel storage, meaning that they can be out there in the fight for longer. And that's kind of exciting when you think about that as a development, the difference between this current F-16 and an old one from 1980. Just a little bit of, you know, extraneous information there. So the jet has actually been demilitarized. And what that means for an F-16 is that they stripped it of its 20 millimeter M61 Gatling gun. The nose mounted radar has been taken out. Um, and most of the things that they would remove, top secret parts, stuff like that, are internal. So they've gone into the plane's insides and removed things that civilians can't see. And so it's for sale and it's functional, but it can't do the cool stuff that maybe, you know, you might be imagining it could do, that it could totally do. So even though it's a 1980 plane, it's still got, I mean, it's still got coolness that you can um, totally engage in eight and a half million dollars gets you this plane. Now, a lot, uh, if you're wondering who else owns a civilian, who is a civilian and owns a demilitarized fighter jet? Well, the person that I was most shocked to see is Michael Dorn. He played Lieutenant Worf on Star Trek The Next Generation. He has owned several demilitarized fighter jets. He's owned a lot of different planes, actually. He's an accomplished pilot. He's flown with um, you know, those the kind of show fighter pilots where they go the the American spirit or whatever they're called. He's flown with them. He used to own his own F-86 saber fighter. Yes. Um And I actually didn't put this story in the links, but I will. I, what I'll do is I'll put Michael Dorn a track worth remembering. This is over at airportjournals.com. And it is a fascinating story of how this man uh, took the time to learn how to be a pilot and it eventually ended up flying fighter planes as a civilian for fun. All right, that's the show for today. It's so good to be back with you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Stacey on the right.com.